Frida does have a song called Your Heart's Condition, and we'll maybe touch on some points of that, but um, I want us to really look at um, safeguarding your heart and what that even means and what that looks like. Um, so we're going to be looking primarily uh, in the book of Proverbs, um, but obviously I'll be referencing several scriptures, but my main text will be um, in Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs 4, we're going to be looking at verses 23 through 27. And just to give you a little sense of the book of Proverbs, is written by Solomon. And the word Proverbs means to be like. It's a book of comparisons between common, concrete images and life's most profound truths. It's also known as wisdom literature. You guys know anything about Solomon is that he had asked God specifically for wisdom. You can find that in First Kings chapter four, and God gave it to him. And not only did He give him wisdom, but He gave him some other things as well. He gave him wealth. So what I want us to, today to, to is to examine why it's important to even safeguard your heart or to keep your heart, as the Scripture says. What is the heart, and why would Solomon put so much emphasis on protecting it? In Second Corinthians thirteen. The scripture says in verse 5 to examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith and to test yourself. So my question for you today is this message is really a pulse check. It's do you know the status of your heart? It's imperative that Christians keep their heart. All right, let's read the scripture. This is written in the ESV version, so we'll read it from the ESV. It's on the board if you don't have your Bibles. But it says, keep your heart with all vigilance. For from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. So what is the heart? Let's explore what that is. Does anybody know what the heart is? Now, we know that there's something that you have inside of you that beats, but there's more to your heart than that. It commonly refers to the mind as the center of thinking and reason, but it also includes your emotions, your will, your whole inner being. It is the center of the human spirit from which springs emotions, thoughts, your motivation, your courage, and action. The heart is the depository of all wisdom, and it's the source of whatever affects your speech, as we saw in verse 24, your sight, which we saw in verse 25, and how you walk and live. So when we think about what your heart is, that's what we're referring to. We'll look at a couple of verses that have to deal with that. So when we think about the mind, and if you're taking notes, I'm just going to read all of these scriptures to you. I've got a, a couple here, but Proverbs 3 um, says to Proverbs 3 3 says, Let not your love and steadfast excuse me, let steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. Proverbs six twenty. My son, keep your father's commandments and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Okay, here we go with that. Binding the commandments on your heart, having that written and etched. Why? Because the mind, again, it's the center. Your heart is, is, refers to the mind as the center and reason of thinking. Okay? It's that center where your emotion springs. So when it says to write it on your heart, it's so that you keep it. So that you have it etched away for you to refer to later on. 
Emotions. That's my next one. Proverbs 15.15 just says, All the days of the afflicted are evil, but the cheerful of heart has a continual feast. So your emotions are connected to your heart as well. Proverbs 15.30 just says, The light of the eyes rejoices the heart. Again, so we've talked about being cheerful of the heart, rejoicing, binding or writing the commandments on your heart. And then, again, referring to your whole self. When you see the scripture that says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, what does that mean? That means your whole self, your whole body, not just up here, but your entire being. And lean not on your own understanding. Why? Because we don't know enough. We don't got it. We need God's help. We need his help. In other words, trust in the Lord with everything you have. Okay? To make it even more plain, it's the inner person or it's the real you. It's the person when no one is watching. And you're laughing, but I'm serious. <laughs> when nobody is around, that is what we're talking about, your heart. That is your inner person. It's all fun and dandy to, to be all joyful and cheery when everyone is around. But what happens when you're just by yourself? Matthew 12:34 makes reference to this, which it says, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So you say what's in your heart. The things that come out don't just slip. But those are things that are actually inside of you. I'm talking about some stuff, right? Sometimes we say things or think things, and we're like, where did that come from? But we need God's help again in helping us to, to shift our focus, to guard our hearts, so that the things that do come out of our mouth, the things that we do say and think, are edifying to God. And they reflect the relationship that we have with him if we claim to know him. Then again, if you look at Luke 6.45, very similar. It just says, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of evil treasures produces evil. For it is out of the abundance, again, we just heard that, of the heart that the mouth speaks. All right, so why is the heart important? Why does it even matter? Why do you need to keep your heart with all vigilance? Well, I love the scripture because the Bible is really clear and usually telling you what it means. It doesn't just give you a bunch of stuff and then leave you to try to figure it out. But Solomon makes it very clear here when you see that word for. So it says, keep your heart with all vigilance. For, well, it's going to tell you why. For, from it flow the springs of life. Well, that's it. Springs of life. In other words, from your heart, all of your actions and everything you do flows from it. According to Matthew Henry, all actions of, the, of life flow from the heart, and therefore keeping that is making the tree good and healing the springs. Our life will be regular or irregular, comfortable or uncomfortable, according as our hearts are kept or neglected. So you can keep your heart and you can safeguard it or you can neglect it. The idea of keep your heart with all vigilance. Do you know what that word means? It is the state of being careful or carefully watching for possible danger or difficulties. Carefully watching for all possible danger or difficulties. There are all sorts of things that can creep in, right, into our, into our minds, into our hearts, or things that we see. And if we're not careful, we can let all sorts of stuff just in. Right? You're inundated with information. We live in an, an information age, a digital age where there's a vast amount of information. There's so much content that you are getting 
from all different places, how do you know what you're absorbing and what you're not? So being careful that you're absorbing the things that are going to help you move forward. So to keep means to protect, to guard, or to continue to follow a way or a path. To take precautionary measures or to watch carefully. Have you guys heard of the term self-care? It's something that us as millennials especially love to use. It's all about self-care, meaning taking care of yourself. Listen, I love it. Okay? You do. Sometimes you got to take care of yourself. So keeping your heart is actually a part of spiritual self-care. So think about as something that you're doing to help better you as a believer. Do better on my own. Do I just need to try harder? Well, the answer to that is no. Before we can even talk about keeping your heart, we need to look at the condition of our hearts. Before we can even talk about keeping, because I think sometimes what happens is we like to prescribe ourselves with all of these things that we must do in order to please God, but the reality is that there's nothing that we can do to please God. We need his help. We need him to save us. We need him to change us. And by the work of the Holy Spirit, that's how we're able to make any changes in our lives. We can't just do stuff. Because if we could do anything on our own merit, why would we need God? We wouldn't need him. So our hearts are naturally inclined to not see God for who he is. To not see God for being glorious and and more infinitely valuable than anything else. We're not inclined to see God that way. Actually, we're inclined to see ourselves as God. We're inclined to put ourselves in the center of all things, not him. So at Ephesians, it says in four, uh, Ephesians 4.18 that they are darkened in their understanding and alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance in them due to their hardness of heart. We see in Romans 3.10 and 11 that no one is righteous. So you can't do it on your own. You're not righteous on yourself. That no one understands or seeks God. On your own, these aren't things that we pursue naturally. We need God's help. The work of the Holy Spirit to draw us. He's the one that makes those changes. And it's even more plain in Romans 1, 18. And I'm going to read a couple of scriptures. It's 18 through 25. But it just says that, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who, by their unrighteousness, suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, and divine nature has been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So we can see God in his creation. So that they are without excuse. For they, for although they knew God, they did not honor him or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And it goes on from there to say, Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of God, of the immortal God, for images resembling mortal man and birds. And it goes on from there. Again, the idea is that we aren't naturally inclined to see God for who he is. In Tim Keller's book, Counterfeit Gods, I encourage you to get it. It's actually a great great read. He writes that our hearts are idol-making factories. I'm sure you've heard me say that before. That make good gifts from God's ultimate in our lives, thereby replacing God in our affections. And this is the best part. He says that the true God of your heart is what your thoughts effortlessly go to when nothing else demands your attention. It's what your thoughts effortlessly go to when nobody or nothing is demanding your attention. That is what is the true God of your heart. So the question is, what are we 
thinking about? What are we meditating on? Our problem is not that we lack light, which John Piper says, that is that we love darkness. And that's the hardening of our hearts. And we know that God looks at the heart of his people. Do you know when he was looking for a king, Samuel went to the house of Jesse, and in going to the house of Jesse, he looked at his son Eliab, and everybody was like, well, what about this guy? And he said, no, that's, that's not him. Do you have anyone else? In the scripture of 1 Samuel 16, 7, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height. I'm talking about David here. David was just small and scrawny, and to be quite honest, was someone that they looked over. Don't consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. Talking about the older brother, Eliab. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance. And what does God look at? God looks at the heart. So there's a possible way to give lip service and say all the right things and do all the right things and still not be right with God. We need him to to change our hearts because he knows it and he sees it. Do you know in the garden when he asked Adam, where are you? It wasn't that he didn't know, but that there was a separation there. In Isaiah 29, 13, I'm just saying, you can't fool God. The scripture says, the people come near to me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is made up of rules taught by men. We don't want to base our lives on a bunch of rules that are not ordained by God. We need a heart that is after his. But we need him first to transform. First Thessalonians 2.4 just says that just as we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. So God tests your heart. He knows your heart. And he doesn't look at your outer appearance, but he's looking at what's inside. Alright, so before you can keep it, you got to know what it is, right? The heart is the wellspring of life. flows it springs of life. It's everything that's the real you, right? So if you don't remember anything else, that it's the real you. Our heart's condition, we are not naturally bent to see God for who he is, right? God looks at the heart. And the next point is that God must open the eyes of our hearts. And we must be transformed from the inside out. The eyes of your heart must be opened. And we must be transformed from the inside out. What does that even mean? All right, so the eyes of your heart. Now we're introducing other functions. Now we've got eyes, right? We've got the mind, we've got eyes, we've got heart. What, what, what are you saying? Well, again, I love to use scripture to, to explain some of these things because God doesn't make his word complicated. And the things that are complicated, he gives us resources to uncover it, right? The stuff that feels real challenging, he still gives us what we need. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, there's a very specific verse in verses 18 through 21, where it just says, Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what it is, the hope to which he has called you, which are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us as believers, according to the work of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand, in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name, not only in the age, but also in the one to come. So having eyes for the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what it is the hope that you've called. 
We need God to open our eyes so that we know what this hope is. How else will you know if God doesn't open your eyes? doesn't give you clear vision. I love the fact that it is 2020 because it makes us understand and think, okay, how can we ask God to give us clearer vision to see him for who he is this year? So as you're thinking about self-care and what it means to safeguard your heart, think about how God can give you clear vision in 2020. We first need God to do some work before we can think about guarding our hearts. Um, A person believes the gospel because God opens his heart. And we think about examples of folks in the Bible. Lydia is one of the best examples. Why did she even believe? In Acts, it's very clear, in Acts 16, where it says that the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what Paul had said. That the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what Paul said. So for you to even be able to understand the scripture, for you to be able to understand what God has for you, we need him to open up our hearts so that we can even understand the scripture. That there's a harding or a blocking that happens when we don't have our hearts open. So it's very interesting um, that God opened that so that she could understand the scripture. So again, my prayer is that God would give us what we need to understand the scripture and that he would open our hearts and our eyes to see him more clearly. It's a blessing because if we're believers in Jesus, then this has all happened to you. Your eyes have been opened, you were granted repentance, or excuse me, you were granted um, to be righteous because you repented, granted righteousness, and the Lord opened your heart. And I like what John Piper says, he says, the rest of your life should be flowing with amazing thankfulness at the miracle that you're a believer. That God has saved you. All right, so our eyes must be opened. We have to be transformed from the inside out. But how do we do that? We need Holy Spirit-enabled renewal. The Holy Spirit must lead us to hear the gospel, to study Christ's exalting writing, and to meditate on the perfections of who Christ is. All true godliness is a consequence of understanding that God mercifully came and found us. That he came and he found us and he is changing us. We see in Titus 3.5 that the scripture says that he saved us not because of what we've done, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. So we need Holy Spirit renewal. We need God to liberate us from the deceits and powers of worldly passions, the conforming habits of this age. You know, when we talk about all the things that we think we miss and that we want to indulge in, because we are looking for satisfaction in other things than God. We're looking for the comfort that we need, and the only place we're going to find it is in Him. So when we talk about safeguarding and keeping your heart, it's trying to remove the things that continue to block us from seeing God as God and trying to bring in all that other stuff that we put in place as God. And those things can be anything, right? When we think about heart issue and when we put things in the place of God, that could be anybody. It could be a person. It could be stuff. It could be coming to church. A righteousness that no one else has, right? That can be an idol. Thinking you're better than other people, right? These are all things. And everyone's like, oh, no, not me. But we have to examine ourselves, so it might not be those things. So it could be others, right? Again, the idea of keeping, guarding, safeguarding. We're going to talk about some ways to do that in a minute, but I want to give you the context first so that you can't just do it on your own. Right. 
We need the Spirit to renew our minds, right? It's His work first. And we have to allow Him to give us everything that we need, and we have to spark profound dependence on Him, right? So all of this means that we can't just depend on our own selves anymore. When you're a believer, when you're in the body of Christ, it's not just about you anymore. It's about you and others. We need God again to break our hard hearts that blind us from seeing him and sometimes the corrupt thinking that we have in our minds, and we need him to change us. And the Spirit must work from the outside in through Christ exalting truth and from the inside out through truth embracing humility. All right, now let's go to the next part of the text. So before I give you some reasons why we should guard our heart. It says some things where it says, put away from you crooked speech. Put devious talk far from you. I think some of us know what that means. It's ending the gossip and underhanding comments and talk. Ask yourself sometimes when you're engaging in conversation, who is benefiting from this? Have you ever found yourself in a conversation and realized that it quickly turned to talking about somebody? You're just trying to explain a situation and then you're just off in a tangent just talking about somebody. We need God's help to to put those things away, right? Away from us, right? That's not a part of the little safe box that we want of of things. But we want to be able to put that stuff away. Again, look directly forward, right, where it says, let your eyes look directly forward and and your gaze be straight before you. If you think about the path straight, I think about driving, right? When you're driving, yeah, you need to be aware of your surroundings. But if you're not looking straight at the road and you're just kind of off, What's going to happen? You're probably going to hit something, right? Hit something. It's, it's not good. You need to be able to keep your vision on the road, on what's in, in front of you. So the idea is not losing focus of what's important, of the important things. Having your eyes fixed forward. And then think about the path of your steps when it says ponder the path of your feet. And then all of your ways will be sure. Again, thinking about your steps, the places in which you are walking. When we think about our own journey um, or the path forward, have you ever detoured off the path? Have you ever kind of veered to the left or the right? Right. That's why it says don't swerve from the left to the right or turn your foot to evil. I like what is said in Philippians 3, 13 and 15. It just says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what, is, what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on to the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ. So pressing on towards the prize. That's the goal. That's the path forward. When it says turn away from evil, when I was talking about those detours, stop taking detours and blaming them on other people. We want to blame God. We want to blame the devil. We want to blame whoever on all the things when, when things don't go right. But we decided to make some choices that probably weren't great for us. Sometimes you might have to remove some people, some things, some places that are hindering your growth. And I say that not to put parameters around what you can do because, right, everything is permissible, but is everything beneficial? No. Sometimes you have to put some some roadblocks in for your own safety. I think about when you're on a weight loss journey or you're trying to eat healthy, right? What, does that mean you have cupcakes and cakes sitting on your counter every day? No. 
you might have to not buy that for a while. Why? Because you're just going to be staring at it until you say, oh, I could just have a little bite. And then one bite turns into the whole cake. So I say sometimes we have to put these own parameters for ourselves because we know ourselves, right? And if we're trying to do better, we need to sometimes put things in place to help us grow. All right. Almost done. God has given us everything we need to live and glorify him. And these are the things that will help us safeguard our heart. I'm going to read this to you. 2 Peter 1, 3, and this is a long one. But it just says that his divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So his power, he's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he granted us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, now listen to this, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness otherwise known as faithfulness, and Steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection. How many, how, much, how many of you love your brothers and your sisters? For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they will keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sin. Remember we talked about we need a God to cleanse us because our hearts are hardened? Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. Excuse me, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Virtue, right? Knowledge. Self-control. Faithfulness. Godliness. Brotherly affection. Those are the things that we need to help safeguard our hearts. Colossians 3, 12 just says, Put on, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. How many of you have compassion in your heart? Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Again, these are all things in your arsenal, and your toolbox that you need. All right, we're talking about safeguarding our heart. These are the things that we need to keep in to help us move forward. I'm going to give you a couple of steps, and then we're going to be out of here. Two more thoughts there before I do. Just remember the fruit of the Spirit as well. Galatians 5.22. So how do you safeguard, or how do you protect your heart? Well, the first thing is really is to pray and ask others to pray for you. Prayer. How many of you ask myself this question. It's just everyone. Um, have made prayer a bigger part of your year this year? And if the, que- if the answer is no, I haven't, then I encourage you to do it. To increase your prayer life. And the reason I say this is because prayer is, is powerful. James 5.16 just says, Confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power 
as it is working. Increasing your own prayer life. Sometimes we just have to pause and just start praying. And sometimes we don't know what we're supposed to be praying about or praying for. But the Holy Spirit even hears our groans and utterings. When you can't even form words, God still hears you. But he still wants you to come. He still wants you to to come. I'm convinced that um, part of the reason why we don't grow spiritually is because we don't have a prayer life by ourselves. It's great to, to have corporate prayer, but sometimes you have to pray by yourself. You need to get in and just pray. Praying without ceasing, right? Or praying continually, as it says in 1 Thessalonians. Again, asking others to pray for you, I think is important too, right? Getting those few people in your uh, circle to help you in in situations that feel difficult for you to share with more people, but if you got one or two, I encourage you to share it with them. Again, asking God to create in us a clean heart and to renew a right spirit in us. Psalm 51. Search me, O God, and know my heart. This is Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me into the way everlasting. Search me, God, and know my heart. We want God to search our heart. So asking people to pray for you. And then the other thing is daily renewal. Do you guys remember what I taught about? That we get depleted every day. And that our encouragement fades. And we can't run on yesterday's hope. Right? On yesterday's mercies. We need today's mercies. That's why he says sufficient is the trouble today. Right? So we need God's renewal every single day. And how do we get that? We have to saturate ourselves with the Word. Meditating on the Scripture and the Word of God. Um, reading your Bible can be a challenge, I'll, I'll admit. I think sometimes we have, we're so busy in our day. I know I have a lot going on at work that I do, and I'm always on or doing something. But finding the 20, 30 minutes, an hour, however much time that you can fit in, when you can fit it in, I encourage you to do it. Looking for those moments when you are doing other stuff and think, huh, this is a moment that I can start reading something. There are a ton of really great, uh, if you have a smartphone, if you have an iPhone, um, the Bible app has a million plans in there that you can just go through devotionals that can help if you're like, I don't even know where to start. Um, sometimes starting there. Or if you have a concordance in the back of your Bible, sometimes picking words, like heart. Searching the scriptures and start saying, what does God say about this? Um, it starts to help, I think, because when we hide the word in our heart, we don't sin against God. Um, It helps us to meditate on the things of God. I like what Ephesians 4, 8 says, whatever is lovely, whatever is pure, if there's anything trustworthy, think about those things. We ask God to give us um, the perfect peace because we want to have our minds stayed on him. And my next point is to ask for wisdom, right? If you're, as you're safeguarding your heart, you might need some wisdom. If Solomon asked for it, why not? Why not ask for it? Uh, in the Greek, 
that word is Sophia. We need God's Sophia. We need his wisdom. Um, We need you to help us to believe that you have a plan for us. And to believe the plan that you already just, we know that you have it. We know you have a plan for your people. We know you have a plan for us, and we need your help. Um, James 1.5 just says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach. If you ask for it, we'll give it to you. Asking for the things we need. Remember when we were talking about praying? Ask and it shall be given. Seek and you shall find. If we pray and say, God, we need your help keeping our hearts. We need your help keeping our minds focused on you. We need help to not be afraid to share your word. We need help living out this life because it's challenging. We need your help when everything is going completely wrong and I don't know who to trust or go to. And it looks like there is more despair than there is hope. How do you lift us up in these moments? I need your help to do that. Ask for God's wisdom to help you there. And my last thing was just, I mentioned it early, but seeking godly counsel. In safeguarding your heart, sometimes you've got to get some folks on your team that can help you to give you godly counsel in the decisions that you're making. Have you ever made a decision and been like, I didn't ask anyone, and that was just not the right way to go? Not everything, but sometimes you need some folks to be like, hey, I'm thinking about this. How does this sound? get usually some some godly counsel like, yeah, that's fine, or have you thought about this, or did you do this? So having those folks, no matter what stage in your life you are, is important. Proverbs 24, 6 just says, For by wise guidance you will wage war, and in abundance of counsel there is victory. That was Proverbs 24, 8. Excuse me, 24-6. All right. So let's remind ourselves. What's the heart? The real you. Why is it important to to guard it? Because it's the wellspring of life. Everything you do flows from it. Can you keep all of these things on your own? Can you do this on your own? No. Why? We need God to change us, right? He has changed us from, moved us from darkness to his marvelous light. Again, our hearts are not naturally inclined to see God for who he is, where our hearts are idol-making factories, right? So we constantly need God's help to grow us and to change us. That God looks at the heart, so he sees and he knows, right? That we need him to open up the eyes of our hearts. We have to be transformed from the inside out. And that he's given us all the tools that we need to live and glorify him. All right. That's all I've got for you guys.